Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America Podcast, Volume 23. It is Marty and McGee's Talking Season, Part 2, with the SEC East coaches this week. Uh, we chose three. We chose Dan Mullen from the Florida Gators, Barry Odom from the Missouri Tigers, and Kirby Smart from the defending SEC champion Georgia Bulldogs. These conversations are amazing. And when McGee and I get the opportunity to sit down with these guys, we love to learn about them and laugh with them and learn their insight and their passions. It's so fun to get them out from between the lines where their heads are so often. Everything in college football is on to the next thing. It's the next practice. It's the next film session. It's the next season. It's the next game. It's the next recruiting cycle. And so to get them out of that moment for just a few moments is magical. And that's what Marty and McGee talking season sought to do. And we hope that's what we accomplished. Last week was the SEC West with Saban and Malzahn. And today it's dogs. It's tigers. It's Gators with Coach Mullen, Coach Smart, and Coach Odom. I can't wait for y'all to hear it. But before we get to those guys, I want to spend a real quick moment discussing Kalo with you guys. Kalo rings are designed to ensure your hands are safe and comfortable in the workplace, the gym, the outdoors, and everywhere in between. I love the gym. I love being outdoors. I just spent going on a crazy excursion with Academy Sports and Outdoors, where I was with Gators, literally, like 10 feet away from me in the Louisiana swamp, staring at me with their beady eyes. I had on my Kalo ring. Unlike traditional metal wedding rings, Kalo is made from silicone, allowing you to keep your ring on in times where a traditional metal ring would need to be removed. Kalo rings allow people to live their lives safely and comfortably, while still representing their commitment to their spouse and to their family. It's not just me. I wear them every week. I wear mine every day. Some people might choose to just wear them in the gym. Some people might choose to just wear them at the job. I wear mine all the time because it's comfortable. I don't hardly even know it's on while having the solace of knowing that it's on. I get asked about it a lot, you know, being on TV. People ask me, man, where'd you get that ring? And I tell them, go to Kalo.com. I'm not alone. Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Jordy Nelson, Derek Carr, NFL players. They wear them while they're playing. NBA players, Steph Curry, Isaiah Thomas, and Harrison Barnes, MLB stars, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, and Chris Bryant. We're talking the best young stars in Major League Baseball. They're wearing Kalo. Country music icons, Jason Aldean and Sam Hunt, both buddies of mine. They're wearing them. If you're a firefighter, a policeman, a military member, first of all, thank you so much for your service to your community and to your country. But you guys could have these rings. They're perfect for what you're doing in serving your community and country every single day. If you're a carpenter, construction worker, electrician, mechanic, my brother-in-law, Matt, he's a carpenter. It's what he does. He wears one of the Kalo rings that I got him. Men and women, in and out of the gym, hundreds of professional athletes, whether that's Olympians, MMA fighters, CrossFit champions, pro surfers, they're wearing Kalo rings because you can get them in any style you want and any color. 18 different styles, and 50 different colors. If y'all are Dale Jr. guys, Dale Jr. Uh, is, is a Kalo guy, and his wife Amy. They ain't got their own rings. How come I don't have my own ring? Where you at, Cody? My buddy Cody Wittick runs the marketing for Kalo. I'm about to get on him. I need to, uh, There needs to be like a Marty Party wedding band. I bet they'd sell at least one to me. Go to Kalo.com and retail stores nationwide, including Academy Sports and Outdoor, which I just mentioned, Bass Pro, REI, and Dick's. 
But the best way to get them is at Kalo.com. That's Q-A-L-O.com. Use promo code Marty for 15% off. Kalo.com, promo code Marty for 15% off. Go right now and get your Kalo wedding band. Now it's time for Marty and McGee talking season with SEC East coaches Barry Odom, Dan Mullen, and Kirby Smart. Coach Odom, you're up first. All right, so, Coach, we need to start uh, with the fact that you and your crazy brothers uh, used to strap up and knock the hell out of trees just for fun. We did We did a lot of things uh, <laughs> growing up. And it was crazy. You drive down the street now. And I grew up in, in small-town Oklahoma, uh, 30 minutes from OU's campus. I wanted to be Brian Bosworth. That was my guy. I had the – Stripes in the hair. I was going to say, did you do this? So right. I mean, I can't do it now, right? Did you go but, mullet, uh, coach? I had mullet, yeah. Was, I mean, so it was awesome. Um, We're big militia guys. So we went. Uh, you don't drive down the street anymore and see, in, and see kids out playing tackle football. I was thinking about, you know, was, we went back there a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, visited, and we would get out in the front yard and play goal line football. I mean, that was I mean, we were in full pads. That's kind of what we did. Um, my older brother was, he instigated a lot of things. Of course. And that's what older brothers do. Yeah, he's four years older than yep. me and then four years older than my younger brother. So, you know, he's eight years older than, than him. Uh, he made us do a lot of stuff and not any of it. Most, there's a few things that got on video. The old video camcorder that you carried the suitcase with. I, you, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Anytime that he broke that, broke that out, we thought, this is, I hope. Something was up. <laughs> it's, it's like they're saying, hey, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hold uh, my beer. Well, there you go. Coach Mullen That's yesterday. Right. And he said he had a whole bunch of hold my beer moments. What, what takes place next. But, uh, had a lot of fun growing up and, um, lived in a small town. Uh, we were always busy. From what I understand, when you enter Ada, Oklahoma, there's a big old sign that says, Welcome to the home of Blake Shelton. Now, that sign used to say, Welcome to the home of Barry Odom. Coach, what gives? In my mind, uh, there should be two signs. Agreed. But, you know, Blake's done a heck of a job. He was a year older than me in high school, uh, has obviously done a great job in his career. Um, but there's times. I mean, I, you can put me in small font. You can put something. I understand. Do you ever get out the cry lawn? Just you know what? It's Christmas. Just, <laughs> just, you know, just remind everybody that I'm from here too. That ain't a bad idea. Okay. You know who? Uh, Jeremy Shockey, uh, great tight end. Yeah, man. He's from there. So I'm kind of <laughs> I'm out of the mix. I don't have a chance. We as an aside, you need more we tattoos. actually heard, we actually yeah. heard the most amazing story about Jeremy Shockey yeah. just last night. Yeah, we do. Ben Hartsock that played at uh, Ohio State. You know, ten years in the league. Uh-huh. Uh, was like choking on some pork loin or something. Yep. And Shockey Heimlich him back to life. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but the key is tattoos. Blake Shelton and Jeremy, they've got a lot of tattoos. I don't know if that's... Blake had one of the absolute greatest mullets in the history of mullets. He yeah. did. That thing yeah. was permed and gorgeous. It was nice. Plumage. Yeah. Yeah. So, Odom Field, right? Is this where all this took place? The, a lot of good the, the skull cracking yeah. with, Great the, with the brothers? Yeah. 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 We'd have all, I mean, everybody that, you know, all the friends would come up and we were playing ball. Yeah. And it was football season. You were playing football. We mowed, we had enough space up behind our house, had land out there. Um, yeah, mowed a football field. It was about 70 yards long, but we, we had yard lines and, um, no, wait, how did you do the yard lines? Did you have paint or did you burn the grass? Diesel spray. Diesel yeah. spray. So I, knew got the, I knew it. I knew it. You got the rope, you know, the 
and set it across and kind of lined it up, get it just right, even. <laughs> and he went down and striped it diesel. And then the next day, son did its magic, and you had lines. EPA uh, showed up about 30 minutes nah, later. No, you don't worry about that. <laughs> I don't worry about that. Out in the country, we don't care about that. <laughs> no, it. It's, it's up to code. It's up to code. You're good. Yeah. I want you to describe your Oklahoma fandom as a child. Well, the, the thing, um, my first name was also the first name of Barry Switzer, who was the coach at the same time. So I went, you know, we grew up 30 minutes from, from the campus. That's just kind of what I knew, um, you know, Went up to as many games as you could go to. Went and watched you know, our high school coach. His son was uh, one of my best friends. So he had access to, like, being able to go to spring practice. Right. Awesome. So he would – I'd get to tag along and go up and watch. And, uh, you know, there's times I went up, Barry Switzer was standing there, and I thought, you know, I was probably in the fifth grade. Um, and went up to him and said – Oh my God, I'm getting to meet Coach Switzer. And I said, Guess what my name is? And he looked at him, I'm sure he's thinking, You got to be kidding me. And he had a, I had a, one of the uh, businesses in our, the town I grew up in was Walden Grain and Seed. Had a Walden Grain and Seed hat on. Right. And he looked at me and he looked around (laughs) and I know what he was thinking now because I I get it. And he's looking at me then and he's like, I don't know, Walden? (laughs) (laughs) I said, No. It's Barry. And, and <laughs> because, of course, it's Barry. Like you, yeah. goats. So, anyway, he grabbed us after that spring practice, and we got to go, like, in the weight room. And Brian Bosworth and Tony Casillas are in there working out. Awesome. And the boss is, I mean, he's cranking out curls and doesn't have a shirt on. So, I take my shirt off, you know, and I start in. So, he poses <laughs> a picture with us. I mean, that's that's what, I, at that Do point. Do you still have it? It's somewhere. I mean, it, I don't have it in my. Mama's got it somewhere. It's yeah. somewhere. So, I mean, from that moment on, really, that's, I knew I was, I was going to go be a college football player. That's what I was going to do. And, uh, a lot of impactful coaches from the high school level for me. Uh, Jerry Gamble was my first one. Larry McBroom and I went to Ada. And then they're all so impactful that, that I knew I was going to be a coach. The, the speech that you gave, the post game press conference after the Auburn loss, has kind of become this YouTube thing. I mean, right now with I'm a man, I'm 40, and I mean, any great coach's press conference you can think about. But it struck me because you talked about turnarounds, and you talked specifically about when you got to Missouri and Coach Smith, and you said, I've been here for a turnaround. You know, what was that experience like as a player, and how does that apply to what you're doing now as a head coach at your school? Well, the thing, you know, I I went to Mizzou, and, and Larry Smith was the head coach, and he recruited me as a tailback. And I lasted like two days of practice, and I got a call. My dorm phone was blinking. said, come see Coach Smith. And I was like, I haven't missed any class. I hadn't done anything, you know. So I show up, and he looks at me in the glasses. I walk in the room, and he's like, you owed him? You know, he didn't, you know, <laughs> yes, sir. And he goes, hey, you're going to, you're going to play linebacker. I was like, Coach, I'm, a, I'm not. He said, there's no discussion. I said, yes, sir. Uh, so I walked out and went. But up to that point, um, Mizzou hadn't been to a bowl game in, I think it's 17 years. Been a long time, right? 96, my freshman year, ended up, it was a good move. I ended up starting you know, the last half of my freshman year at linebacker. Um, but we were getting better. I think we were five and six my freshman year. Things were starting to turn. We were getting better, you know, better recruits, work ethic, all those things that have to happen. 
And then we went on a run my sophomore year and became bowl eligible. And I'll never forget that feeling on the work that went to put into it. And then the moment that we, we beat Colorado in Boulder that day to win our sixth win, the feeling from there, and that just transformed our program moving forward. Uh, so as part of that, I went to Memphis after I'd been a long time, you know, different roles at Mizzou, and I went to Memphis to be the defense coordinator with Justin Fuente, who had just left from TCU. And when I got there, things were not in great shape. Mm-hmm. You know, year one, we won four games. Year two, we were a lot better, but we only won three. But we were a heck of a lot better. And then year three, we won the conference, won ten games. So that transformation and, and, and turnaround was something that I took pride in and, you know, became a much better coach and all those things. And then when I went back to Mizzou as a coordinator in 15, uh, had some struggles um, that we couldn't get it done. You know, 16 first years as a head coach, we, we, weren't, we weren't very good, but we were getting better. There were a lot of really great things going on within our locker room and the weight room and academically. Um, we, were, we were so close. And then getting into 17, the practice habits were right. We were doing a lot of really good things. I thought we were so close, but we weren't playing worth a darn. And we couldn't put it together for three and a half hours. We just couldn't do it consistently enough. Offense would go out and, and light it on fire, and defensively we couldn't follow it up, or vice versa. If defense was playing pretty good, offense would turn it over. Whatever it was, I was missing the boat somehow and getting us the ability to go play freely with confidence and go do it. But I knew we were so close. Uh, my team sees that side of me all the time. Um, but I felt like at that point, maybe they needed me to stand up and do it publicly. Uh, so there was a little bit of thought that went into that. I was sure hoping we were going to play better against Auburn that night, but we didn't. Uh, but I thought that was probably about the right time to, to try to – we needed – because we were still things in the locker room. We were close. We were doing things. Things were adding up the right way. We, just, we weren't playing well. But uh, you could see not it. that that yeah, I could feel could it. I could it. see it staff wise. They weren't lying to me. It's like, coach, we're close to stay the course. Let's keep going. And luckily, the, the team stayed together. You know, there wasn't fracturing. There wasn't second guessing. I mean, they were dialed in uh, kind of hanging on on the words I were giving them. Coaches move player players around positionally all the time. Happens on every team all the time. And you talking about going in and talking to Coach Smith and him saying you're going to be a linebacker. Well, you didn't turn and run and go somewhere else and play. But in today's culture, that seems to happen more and more and more and more and more. So how do you use your personal um, personal history and, and, and experiences? experiences? Yeah, you look to, at the To opp- help the kids now. Yeah. When I think more than anything, it's about true trusting relationships. And that starts in recruiting. I want to get guys that want to do it uh, at Mizzou. I want guys that... Uh, are willing to work together um, no matter what their role is, but find a way to put the team first and have the opportunity to be a role in that and a part of that. Uh, it's not always you're not gonna you're not gonna bat a thousand. But if you can establish that on that's your approach during the recruiting process and you're gonna put them in position to be successful, the individual accountability, honesty real relationships sometimes it's a hard conversation you got to have with them on this is what's best for you trust me then you know as long as you've done and built the relationship the right way you got a shot mm-hmm. they may not always see it but take some time but we're going to get there 
when you became a linebacker, you became a damn pretty good, good linebacker. Is there ever the time where you say, you know what, get me the film from so-and-so a game because I want to show you how to tackle. I want to show you how to hit some fool across the middle. No. That, um, Would you that, do it just for yourself? Hey, look at that. I wasn't bad that back in the day. <laughs> I, I did not too long ago. Was, my sons were getting into football, and they were they're a lot smarter than I am. They were looking through the, the Missouri records. You know, total tackles, number of tackles in a game, in a career. And then they got to the page that said number of missed tackles in a career. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, you're number one. <laughs> Come on, that page is supposed to be out of there. Uh, no, I mean, you always take something from your playing experience, your, your experiences, good, bad, and, and not so, you know, ugly. Uh, you take something from that and learn. Um, I've, I've learned there's so many different ways to teach. And, and I was a guy as a player. I had to walk through it. I had to draw it. I had to see it. I had to see it on video before I truly grasped what and how to play. And there's a lot of times now you got to find out how kids learn and be able to teach them. Uh, you know, everybody learns a little bit different. So some guys get it after the first walkthrough. Some guys got to have it in live speed, full action on how it, how it takes place. But I don't know that I'd be the great example. Pushing the ball down the field these days is the way the games progress, and man, you got a good one. Having a quarterback that's established, talented, experienced in Drew Locke, what makes him special? He's got a tremendous just physical skill set. Okay, and take take that out of it. Um, the way that, in my opinion, how he's developed maybe more than anything is the way the game has slowed down for him. Mm-hmm. When he's able to see a coverage, he knows. This is where I'm going with the ball. And because his footwork is better, the techniques and habits through repetition on what he's doing, he's able to place the ball now not only to the receiver in the area, but he's going to the position on the shoulder pad on where it needs to be placed. When you get to that and the game is slowed down for you and you've got the tools that he has, he's got a chance to be special. How would you advise him on the draft? You know, that conversation started last year right after this. Uh, with he and his parents. And I knew that he was going to have the opportunity uh, to make a decision. And we had, I said, I'm going to look at it just like, Drew, you're my son. And we're going to get all the information we can get for you, whether it's in, in your favor or not in your favor. I'm going to give you the facts. And I think the parents trusted that, and they they took all the information. They got some themselves. We compared it, sat down a number of times and talked. But then it came down to, you know, our office coordinator left during that time right. of his decision making. So he's looking at me like, hey, what, you know, what are we doing here? Um, continue to get information for him. But they, they handled it in a very, you know, mature way and they didn't jump to the immediate gratification, satisfaction, whatever it is, the easy way. They took time and it was, stressful as heck on on me because you you're hiring but who cares right you're hiring a guy offensive coordinator also your starting quarterback who's pretty darn good is mm-hmm. making the decision right. at that time <laughs> you better be right here dude yep. so yeah. uh, anyway and, and we sit down and and had numerous talks about you know their where they were with their mindset where they were with the decision and it got about the last i was at the AFCA coaches convention when I finally got the call and they said, Coach, I'm staying. Wow. Uh, wow. 
I was walking down the street to my car and I danced like a fool. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was it was like the biggest recruiting get you could get because I, I wanted and and I would have I would have been happy for him too if he would have decided to go on and supported him. But I, I think he made the right decision, not selfishly for me. I think for our program, but I think he did with all the information that he had. Um, wasn't an easy decision, but he also cares so much about his teammates that the guys that he came in with, that was a big part of it because he thought we we're starting to get going here. I don't want to walk out the door when I still got something to prove and a mark to leave, which says something about him too. Uh, a couple more, and we'll, we'll cut you loose. Uh, you probably wish you could burn that page in the record book that says you had the most missed tackles. Maybe you could have thrown it in on the fire of the stuff that you Shut burned. Up. Last year, right? Did walk, 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 us, walk us through that. What, what was the, I'm going to call you guys for advice. Okay. That would have been a good thing to go <laughs> um, I took some of the, you know, a copy of one of the games we had played before that we didn't play very well. I took some media clippings. I took uh, a call sheet that I had from one of the games. Took the stats. Um, what else to throw in there? It was it was fairly big. I mean, I used too much lighter fluid, but I, I knew that going into it. But I, you know, kept spraying it, kept spraying it, and the look once the flame started coming up, um, the look across the room because I was standing in front of us behind me, and uh, I had it in a big Gatorade cooler because I wanted to try to contain it. Um, Shut off the oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> but the the look I got, there were a few guys I could tell they're up front. All of our upperclassmen sit in the front and kind of goes as you go back. They're kind of looking like this. I could tell they're looking at me like he's really lost it. I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, this is uh, it. Coach, is, yeah. coach needs to sleep. And then a couple guys are looking around. You could see it kind of building a little bit. And then their eyes are getting – because I, I could feel it behind me. It's like this is it's getting pretty big, you know. And I, So I could feel it. So anyway, and then one of our guys – was like, you know, you're right, it's time. And then it exploded into an eruption of let's go, you know, we got this. And uh, so anyway, I hurried and turned around and shut the fire. I was going to say, <laughs> so, how close do you think we got to calling the fire department? I can't believe the sprinklers didn't go off. Uh, I didn't think about that part. Too. There was an eruption <laughs> of emotion, thankfully not an eruption, like an actual eruption. That's right. right. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they saw it. They felt that it, it, you know, for one time it hit, I hit the mark on the deal. All right, last and most important question of SEC Media Days for you, brother. Cornbread or biscuits? What do I have with it? That's not the question. Biscuits. Biscuits. Biscuit is rallying. Biscuits made a hell of a run today. We were, it was cornbread. Think about what you can put on biscuits. Biscuits are very, you know, they're they're functional. They're very, they're universal in there. Versatility is important. Sandwiches, butter, jelly, I mean, Honey? honey. You've got, how many meals you can have out of a biscuit? Okay. Cornbread? I Cornbread mean, is pretty one-dimensional, however. Man, it's like the wishbone in 86, man. It is good. <laughs> it's one-dimensional, but, God, it was great. It is really good. Sweet cornbread, too. That's exactly And then what if you throw in some jalapenos? Wait a minute. Okay, now I'm still going biscuits. He's backing up I right can just, now. I can no, just no, see no, you, I'm though. I'm firm on it. I can just see you, though. Teenage Odom with the with the boss do hunting down on some biscuits. It was like elementary school. I was husky in build, uh, so I could put away, I could put away some biscuits. My fourth grade self putting away biscuits. Sight to behold. Sight to be and you were fighting off the brothers on top of it. Yeah. Never. Boxing right. out the Look brothers out. to make yeah. sure you got them first. Yeah. I'm the middle child. You know how middle child are. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Fight for everything. That's right. Y'all, Coach Odom's got that Missouri program going in the right direction. Again, they closed the year very strong in 2017. He has what many consider to be the most talented quarterback in the league in Drew Locke. So look out for those Missouri Tigers. And that is a special human being. I enjoyed meeting him, and I've gotten to know him much better since that time. I'm a fan, and I wish him and the Tigers well. Now, let's head down to Athens, Georgia, and your defending SEC champion, Georgia Bulldogs. Here's Kirby Smart. Coach. Yes, sir. Uh, I was at Tennessee when you were at Georgia. <laughs> and my question to you is when it's time to sit down with players and they give you that look like, okay, old man, you don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Do you pull out the film of you like laying out Jacquez Green and saying, this is just, just so you know, I know what I'm talking about? Absolutely not. <laughs> if anything, they dig up film of me and they fired up. I'll, I'll never forget Peyton came and, and visited us at Alabama one time and, and I thought he was going to talk to the DBs. Well, he went down there and pulled up some highlights of him throwing touchdown passes over the top of me. <laughs> uh, said, man, you got me on that one. And, uh, it was, it was pretty humbling, but, uh, you realize how average you were. I I wouldn't sign me. That's what I say all the time. <laughs> a lot of people may not know who are fans today may not yeah. know that. I mean, you were all first team all conference when you were at Georgia. I what think that's because I had a lot of interceptions. But, you, know, you had a lot of interceptions. Inter- you have interceptions, they give you that. It doesn't mean I was. It doesn't. The best that's safety. forever, though, yeah. Kirby. It's forever. What Pretty are good your conference sweet- too? Is what I tell people. What are your sweetest memories? Well, picking off Peyton would be one of the first, but we lost the game. There's a problem in that. Uh, Then beating Florida in 97. I know every time I see Coach Spurrier, he usually brings it up and kind of rehashes. Like, yeah, it's about the only time y'all ever beat us. (laughs) So uh, I told him I have to carry on his tradition with the visor. And he said, I'm glad you're still wearing that visor. He said, I need that tradition to go on. Why are you a visor guy? I'm a golf guy. I just enjoy visors. I don't know. It's simple to me. It's easier. I like a visor. I like playing golf. And. It's not that I idolize Steve Spurrier. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> we are now, when it comes to the visor, we were talking about this driving down here. We there's were. like the full wraparound, yeah. like adjustable visor. And then there's like the Lego snap-on, easy to pull off and throw visor. Yeah. What, what, what kind of visor? I'm, I'm a lot more, you know, my, my head's a little too big. So I have to have the large visor with the large. <laughs> I don't like the little snap-off and throw down and stomp on it. I, I'm, I'm, I get a little nervous energy and take it off. Sometimes my players count how many times I put it on and off during a practice, but I'm not big on throwing it. You don't throw it, but you it I comes adjust. on and off. There's a lot okay. of adjustments hey. going on. Yeah, a lot of this. This is headphones. Makes it tough. Yeah. Are you well, a one-ear headphone guy or a double-ear headphone guy? I take whatever they give me. <laughs> I, like, I like to be able to, to drown out the, no, the noise. So you were discussing golf yep. and your passion for golf. Word on the street is, is that you spent a substantial portion of your summer – Chasing elite golf courses. Expound really? upon this for us. Where did you Chasing play? elite golf courses. I don't know about that. This summer I played close to home. Um, makes it easy. Play right there at Athens Country Club because it's convenient. I can get home and see the kids and go out there. I went out with there with my 10-year-old son and played some. Uh, hopefully going to get to play maybe one more round before the summer's over. But I ain't got to play. A lot, a lot of elite golf courses you got to go to play. Did get you to play do? I did get to go play Augusta this offseason, which was incredible. Yeah, that's, that's Hold elite. Hold on. You just, just so you know, that's minutes. elite. He just spent three you minutes. You said this over. summer. I didn't, I don't I know didn't if you chase any elite golf courses, but I didn't get to play, <laughs> Augusta. play Augusta. It is clear. You it is said this summer, home, though. What? When did you play? It was more May. How? So, okay. Get, summer I started need, in I June. Need play by play. What'd you shoot? What was the experience like? Experience was great. It's, it's it's unbelievable any chance you get to go there. But 
shooting in the nineties is not something I'm proud of. You know, it's, <laughs> but it's, you're, it's but it, in May though, this is still in like master's condition, right? Yeah, it's, it's afterwards. Okay. It's, uh, All right. It, so it, it's it was not a, easy. Yeah, it's, it's never easy. Yeah. I can promise you that. Yeah. Those yeah. Are, but it's hard to challenge. Yeah, yeah. They're challenging. But, um, I just didn't embrace the fact you get to put the same place that Jack Nicholas did. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really cool. And I think that's exciting for me. And the challenge of playing a course uh, of that nature is fun. When you're walking down the hill towards Hogan Bridge and you're actually playing, yeah. what is that like? It's like a masterpiece. It doesn't even look it like really real is. life. There's not one blade of grass out of place. It's a, it's an incredible place, and I think it's a it's a great venue for our state. And there's so much uh, uh, passion and pride in that event that it's recognized worldwide. I mean, what what Billy Payne's been able to do with that organization and taking golf to another level, I think it's really cool. I we, covered it for the first time this year. Hold on, real quick. Yeah. I covered it for the first time this year. Did you try on a green jacket? I did not because I probably would have been apprehended and sent somewhere <laughs> that you would never see or hear from me again. Yeah. <laughs> on Sunday. So Rinaldi was there and yeah. Gene Wojciechowski were there as well. So I got uh, cut from work at 2 p.m. when CBS's window came up. Right. So I went and got a cold beer, and I walked from the first tee. Every, I walked everywhere, oh, and I'm walking to Amen Corner. And I swear to you, my daddy was with me, all right? I get to Amen Corner. Kirby Smart, Amen Corner on Sunday at Augusta is the epicenter of college football in this world. <laughs> That's all anybody wanted to talk to me about. Yeah. Was, and it's every team. Welcome to the SEC. It's awesome. It's a melting pot of SEC fans. And really that area you're talking about is like, uh, you know, I don't go to the event anymore because it's just too much stuff going on. But sure. my wife went this year and she said she was there at the 12 and hung out there. And it's amazing. Just all the SEC environment, the people that are in the Southeastern Conference that go and convene in that area. It's wonderful. In the state of Georgia, to that point, in the state of Georgia, can you hide? Like, can you go anywhere anymore, especially after what you've done in such a short period of time? And and nobody knows where you are? I mean, I I think that my wife and I have taken an approach that we're going to go live our lives. We're both Georgia grads. We're going to be who we are. And um, I'm very approachable, and, and I've got three kids that I want to spend time with. Well, they don't want to sit in the house and hide. Right. You know, they want to go out and go do things. So yeah. I embrace that. I understand that there's a price you pay that comes with this job, and I acknowledge it. But I also think that I'm a represent, representative of the University of Georgia, and I've got to handle that the right way. Now, you mentioned the visor, and we talked about the headsets. I always think about you, right across the street over here, had just won the SEC championship. And everybody's running around and smiling and having a great time. And you look so mad. And I can't, I don't know if it was the visor or the headset or what the deal was. He <laughs> got all tangled and, up. And, yeah, and, and immediately cord. I was like, yeah. does the man ever smile like we see in the football him. stadium? You, you yeah, give yourself that a, a great, that, that was a, that was a great moment. But yeah. there was some news that was given to me that I wasn't real proud of at that time. So that was why I was frustrated. Yeah. But that's, that, that, the moment for those kids and the dumping of that water, that's the best bath I've ever taken. I can promise you that when they dump that ice on you from winning what I think is the toughest conference in all of college football and, uh, and you conquer it and win it, it's a, it's murderer's road now when you start going down playing these teams that you have to play in the SEC. But you, it's so intense. Do you give yourself those moments to enjoy it, to to appreciate what's happened? About in fifteen the minutes. I mean, <laughs> you, you want to embrace it, and enjoy it, and it's the same way with the difficulties. I've been asked a thousand times about the last play of the national title game. Well, I think about that as much as I think about winning the SEC. It's mm-hmm. over. Yeah. It's yeah. gone. It's yeah. Rose Bowl's the same way. It's, it's over. We, we've got to move on, and we've moved on right after all those because you got new things to plow ahead. I want to expound upon that a minute, though. 
when all the noise is gone. All right, you've had this tremendous season, heartbreaking national championship yeah. game, all that. When it's just you in the mirror, brushing your teeth. When it's just you in the mirror, what are you thinking about? When, when it, as it pertains to that night, I think about the the rigors and the energy it's going to take to get it back and and get back to that moment. To, to what what do we have to do to get the most out of this team? I'm not thinking about that moment. I'm thinking about how we can motivate different. What can we show mentally from the uh, mental conditioning side? How can I get this team to be its best? And that's constantly on my mind is, is what we can do better. Because I think everybody has a certain amount of talent. It's what you do with that talent and how you develop it. And I'm always trying to be different, think outside the box, get some kind of edge on somebody. What do you think the answer to that question is? Use the people you've hired. You know, we use our staff and, and, and delegate and try to – I'm, I'm big – I used to be big top-down leadership, and now I'm big empower the people beneath you and let them give you information. So we, we – recruiting meetings, we have the youngest guy come in and say, hey, what are we missing on this Instagram? What are we missing on this social media network? Tell us how we can reach these guys better because those are the guys that know. You know, I want to go to the people that know. Is that the biggest challenge when forever you've been, well, he's going to be a great head coach. One day he's going to be a great head coach. But when you become the head coach, is that the biggest challenge is delegating as opposed to just not wanting to do everything yourself? Absolutely. I mean, it was a problem for me early on. I was going to drive myself crazy trying to do it all because I thought I could. You can't do it all. That's why you hire good people. You make sure they do it the way you want it done and then let them do their job. Mm -hmm. And then take input from the people beneath them and get feedback just it works better that way. I mean, it just if people take value and that you listen to them, they're a lot more uh, probably going to give you information mm-hmm. freely and not hold back. And I think that's in the biggest thing we've been able to do the last two years is imp- improve that flow of information upward. How does growing up in a household, the son of a coach, stay with you every day? Well, it never leaves thinking of the lessons I learned. I, I think back to my childhood being a son of a high school coach, thinking of my, my, my kids. I think, man, my dad taught me a lot of lessons about going up there and raking the yard, cleaning the yard, picking up pine cones, cutting the grass. And I'm like, my kids aren't doing that. Likewise, so, <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> me you know, maybe I had success because I had to go through these, these things, but you know, it's not their fault. And I tell them all the time, it's not their fault that I don't make them do that. They, I've got to make, they make it happen other ways. But that's probably the biggest lesson learning for me being a high school coach's son is how can I create an environment for my kids to grow and, and be successful in life. You're wearing that G on that lapel. Mm-hmm. You're the head coach of the University of Georgia. And I mentioned, I mean, let's, I, I'm got, a, I got pinch myself sometimes. I just, that, that's too. the point. I mean, it's yeah, the dream. Sure. What do you do when your dreams come true? You know, do, do you, do you sit there? Do you give yourself a chance to think, I can't believe? Here I sit. I'm the head coach of Georgia. <laughs> I try not to think about it like that. I try to think about what the next task is. I mean, it's, it's W-I-N at our place all the time. What's important now? Because that's the only thing important now. The more time I spend devoted to that, I'm missing out on helping somebody on our team get better or some maybe get another player to our team. Yeah. You know, maybe get another support staff member that can make a difference in somebody's life. And I'm trying to spend time on, on things that matter the most. How do you take – all of these young men who've been told since they were 12 years old that they're the greatest thing since peanut butter (laughs) and get them to be selfless and cohesive and unified. You don't do it by one word or one meeting. I can promise you that. You do it by creating a a performance-based synergy. So we have all these departments, Hmm. diets, lifting, mental conditioning coach, 
uh, player development coach. We do everything we can. I mean, we do pr- preparation for life after football. We've got a huge event in Atlanta uh, tomorrow where every player on our team is putting on a suit and coming to a networking event, over 60 companies there. You do it day by day to get them to understand it's not about you. And you have to just keep driving it in because so much of society is now about you, 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 me, 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 recruiting, recruiting, recruiting rankings. Now, okay, put this in yourself. Georgia's been there a long time. University of Georgia's been there for a long time. It's going to be here after you. <laughs> so if you'll acknowledge that it's going to be gone and you're going to be gone and then you say, what can I give back? Best thing you can give back is give your best effort while you're here. It feels like every coach is coming through here this week. Work for Nick Saban at some point. <laughs> Seriously, so, so, so the question we have for all that's of y'all. how we feel in the, in, in, in the SEC head coaches meeting. It's just an old staff meeting. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, then to that point, and we're going to ask the same question of all you guys, which is that you can tell us with cameras rolling, what's like the butt chewing from Nick Saban that you received that you still think about? You know, I don't. All of them. Or oh, there's so all many of them. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it, it really was never that way for me because I tell people all the time it's never personal. I mean, I, I remember one in particular at LSU, which is my first year. We had a, a really good player named Corey Webster who was going to be a high draft pick who came back and had just won the national title. He was the best corner in college football probably. And he wasn't at practice one day. And I can't remember to this day why he wasn't there, but I didn't know, I didn't notice he wasn't there, which is pretty amazing because we're in flex lines. Yep. We're out there stretching and everything. He's not there. And, and coach Saban comes over to ask me where he is. And I didn't even realize he wasn't there. <laughs> so I, I was like, uh, I'm not sure. Well, the next day in the staff meeting, you better believe that he made sure every coach would never have that happen again. And I was the example, but to, to his to his defense, he probably should have. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know why the guy wasn't there. It ended up being maybe he had a test or whatever it was, and he wasn't able to come. But for me not to know, I'm thinking, what if one of my coaches now didn't know a guy wasn't going to be at practice? I'd probably do the same thing because it won't happen again. Yeah, It'll never happen again. Yeah, And sometimes those are the best lessons you learn. Saban, Rick, Bowden, you've worked for some of the yeah. legendary guys. What are the biggest takeaways that they share that has helped mold you into your philosophy? Well, I think with Coach Bowden, very similar to Rick, because Coach Rick learned under Coach Bowden. But a lot of the time I spent there, you know, he opened every staff meeting with a daily devotion. He was committed. He was a family man. It was important to him that the working environment was very comfortable for everybody. Um, it was a little more laid back than working for Coach Saban. But he won, and he won at a really high level for a long time. So I learned very early that you could – went through different methods. You know, Mickey Mickey Andrews was the defensive coordinator there that I worked under, and he was so different. He was so meticulous about effort and toughness, where with Nick it was more scheme. And I learned with Nick really early it was being organized, but we were going to have scheme. We were going to have a lot of different things to, to challenge people with. They were so polar opposite between Nick and Bobby, but both so successful. And uh, it was a great boost for my career to be around both of them. Are you more saving or more bowed? I don't know. I would say being with Coach Saban so long, I would I would I would err towards probably saying I'm, I'm closer to that. The intensity with which I like to do practice and coach with it, it probably mirrors him more. Just with advisor on. That's right. That's right. Advisor. All right. So this is the most important question you're going to get this whole week, and and we've asked everybody this. <laughs> Georgia boy, this, too. This, now. You got you got to really. I want you to really oh. think about this. Uh, biscuits or cornbread? Oh man, depends on what kind of cornbread, man. See, Sweet. see, all right, Sweet. all right, you're breaking it down. Sweet. I mean, we're, we're like cake. First cornbread of all, I'm a carb man, so okay. I'm not going to turn down either one. <laughs> Can't you tell? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's if it's my wife's, I'm going biscuits. If it's my mama's, I'm going cornbread. Okay. Somebody knows smooth. the game. That was, that was pretty good, man. Talking about delegating. That's how you do it right there. <laughs> man, That's right. That man's <laughs> so, got a future in office with that answer. Future in eating. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Kirby's got him rolling down there in Athens, and I appreciate his passion. He's a very passionate person, and it gives us great joy that we actually got him to laugh. Uh, that's like, I mean, that's that means McGee and I won that battle. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see him here real soon out on the road. And another guy I'll be seeing real soon is down in Gainesville, Florida. Chomp, chomp down in the swamp. Dan Mullen, in his first year as the head coach of the Florida Gators, he has quite a challenge ahead, and he seems to be up for it. Here's our conversation with Coach Mullen as he gets underway in Gainesville. What's up? What's happening? What's up, Coach? We doing these all right? Eggs in here. This is sweet. What do you got hidden back here? Uh, we got like some mason jars. It's we went for like a redneck motif. All right, we got gotcha. the country boy motif. If right? you couldn't tell, we got antlers. Don't pay no mind to that horrifying. <laughs> Love it. Thing over there. Fake Vegas. But we have some mason jars. Yeah. Well, this summer, I was out on the lake the other day, right? The great, one of the great redneck things that can ever happen to you in life, right? Hold my beer. Watch me do this. Hold my beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold my beer. I'm going to try this. Hold my beer real quick while I try this. this. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Isn't that that how every great story, you got to. That's right. Every great story that ends badly. It starts with, hey, hold my beer. I'm going to give that a shot. (laughs) And just so you know, the capital of the world of that is Florida. Yep. There you go. Florida no, man. <laughs> I mean, do you understand how many people say I was lighting like, on fireworks the other night. I got it all lined up and said, hold my beer. I'm going to go light these fireworks. <laughs> July 4th? Is that the Dan Mullen July 4th extravaganza? What's is. that look like? Describe that for us. No, we did it. We did one the other night. I, yeah. I stopped. Got, we got my fireworks and we lit them all off like the A couple night. of weeks after I July came 4th. in. It was two nights ago, I think. I came in and my wife... My wife looked at my nose and she's like, I mean, my nose like charred. Right? I, got, I got marks on my shirt. <laughs> we were wondering on our drive down here, McGee and I both lived. They were cheering Charlotte. though at my yeah, show. That's all that matters. Yeah. You know what, you know what a Roman candle is, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. We used to do the Roman candle wars where you bottle rocket wars. Where you you, you stick it in a pipe yeah. and shoot it at your friend. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that somehow the three of us are still alive. Although we did all that. It's a redneck but, mortar launcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, redneck motor launcher. Hey, hey, and now, now they got these things. You just light it, and you can walk away, and it does the rest of the work. But you got to be careful. It's a built-in show. One, one fuse. You end up with a charred oh. nose. Yeah, you end up with a charred nose if you don't do it right. That's well, what yeah, you I mean, said. well, we had some, we had some Roman can, but I, I have a smart. I, you know, I don't, I don't do the ones that I hold anymore. If I can't, no, we did put it in, light it, and walk away. I'm, we've I'm had probably, this conversation so many times. Oh, but you know what? So I grew up in the country. Mm-hmm. And we would go buy those inflatable rafts at the yeah. Magic Mart yeah. or yeah. the hills or oh, the yeah. roses. And you know how they came with the plastic oars? Mm-hmm. You'd saw the oars in half. Or. And that then became your bazooka. And oh, you would shoot. put the bottle rocket in the bazooka. Yeah. Shoot it off. There fire you it go. off at your buddy. I have to interpret when he says oars. I say, how do you say oars? That means oars. Yes, an oar. It's a little different than mine. Yeah. Yours is different. Than mine that. has two syllables. That's sort of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, how did you make Mississippi State relevant? <sighs> you know what? I don't know. It wasn't just me. Everybody bought in. Uh, we went in with a plan. And, uh, you know, we had to get everybody on the same page. And uh, we, we did. We, we created a, a great game day environment, went in, told the fans, you all got to show up before we're going to win. And they started showing up. And then we created the, a great excitement in an environment. Uh, you know, we created a 
the Stark Vegas. Deal. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and then that caught on, you know, and then, I mean, I started wearing crazy. I mean, I mean I wore, I'm going with my, my, my shoe game. and uh, You can't even say the other shoe anymore, can I'm you? I'm not allowed to. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, I saw then, you pause. I saw the pause. That was good, though. That was good. You, you, you've adjusted well. And then uh, – but then we did that, you know, then all of a sudden you start, you know, playing the don't stop believing in the fourth quarter and you start, you know, you create that this, your idea. This. Yeah, yeah. that was my marketing. I, I went I, I went to our marketing people. And I said, I want to see the most intimidating stadium in the world and go on the Internet and type that in. I mean, they wouldn't consider themselves rednecks, but a lot of it. So they're mostly European soccer stadium. Oh, yeah, know? sure. OK. And they had Galatasaray came up from Turkey and there's. I mean, they they got flares. They're shoot. They're shooting at the other team. Oars, right there. And I said, "Can we do this?" And they said, "Well, I, they said I don't know that the commissioner is going to really want our student body shooting flares in the stadium <laughs> of the other team." Hey, y'all, watch I said, this. But how about then when the team comes out, fireworks and this and explosiveness? And we just tried to. We got everybody on the same page to create an unbelievable, exciting atmosphere. Uh, we we're blessed. We had some really good football players Indeed. that bought in and believed in the system and what we were doing and believed in the program. And started winning games, and, and all of a sudden, everybody started believing that they were really good. How and would you describe what you inherited? Where? At Florida? Mississippi or State. Mississippi State. It was a challenge. It was a challenge. There were some talented players. Uh, but you really inherited, in some ways, a, a blank canvas. Because, you know, there weren't a lot of traditions. And we say, hey, I want to start a new tradition. Um, everyone was... Hey, let's give it a shot. See yeah. if it works. You yeah. know what I mean? Everybody, there wasn't a lot of resistance to it. And it wasn't, this is how, you know, I, I went in day one and said, don't ever walk in my office and tell me this is how it's always been done. You know? And, because uh, it hasn't always worked at a school like Mississippi State. Now, Florida, a little bit different. Way well, different, that, That's where I was going. You, Way see, different deal. You mentioned if I walk in and say, this is how we've done it, well, it, it, it's worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you mentioned most intimidating, you know, sports venues in the world. There's nothing more intimidating for an opponent than between the third and fourth quarter. And everybody gets up and sings at the Swamp. I mean, it's, it's I was, rowdy, I, I was a student a long time it ago. And it, it gave me chills. So what's the difference in the challenge going back to Gainesville versus well, what you just did? Well, I, I think one of the things, the biggest challenge I have now is getting it back. We're going to use a similar model, but we got to get it back. You know, uh, we got to get back where the swamp is the most intimidating stadium in the country. We got to get it back where, you know, and, and if you look, what's really interesting to me is over the last four years. Yeah, the last four years, Florida's played for two SEC championships yeah. and had two four win seasons. Yeah. And, and they, they, the, the, the program, sense. the program's at a disconnect. Not not individual teams. Right. So you know the individual teams show that they're good enough to go compete for a championship, but the program's not in sync because it it doesn't go that way. That doesn't make sense. Uh, so it's getting everybody on the same page. But to get the Gator standard back, to get the championship level back, it's going to take all of us. You know, it, it, it is. It, it's going to take. Creating the home field advantage with having an unbelievable atmosphere. It's going to take people having pride and believing in the program. Uh, and it's going to take a positive energy of everybody getting in the right direction. When that happens, we're going to get the program back on top where it needs to be. So some people watching may not know that you were at Florida before as Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator. I imagine that Tim Tebow learned a lot from you during his tenure under you. What did you learn from Tim Tebow? You know what is one of the one of the great things I've learned in life from Tim, um, and and it really wasn't until after I left, okay, to be able to define it this way. But if you can make a positive impact on people's lives, you need to do it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and in just in anything, you know, I, I go around it, you know, you, you can go to children's hospital, you go, you go see people that are going through a tough time and are like, coach, you know, boy, it would mean the world if you could just sign an autograph for somebody or take a picture with somebody, you know, that's, that's having a tough time in life. Well, think of that. I mean, how blessed am I? The opportunity where me just showing up or taking a picture with you helps you through a really tough part of your life. I mean, how, how, how can you not do that? And you know that's what Tim does. You know what I mean? Tim Tim is somebody that's so special in the world because, you know, being around him impacts people's lives. But he always takes the time to make sure that that happens. And that's the best thing I've ever learned from him. Well said emotion. It's just emotional. Is. I get emotional about it. With with Tim, I'm I'm an emotional person. Uh, but it is because you t- you know you take so much pride in you seeing somebody that's so good and knowing that Boy, Tim has an impact on people around the world, and he has a platform to do it. My pride is maybe I helped him get there. Yeah. I helped him have this platform that, in a lot of ways, is world-changing, you know, of what he does. Uh, you know, our, our, our family foundation helps and does a lot. With his night to shine, I don't know if you ever oh, been. I know all about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the most amazing things you've ever been at, and the impact that has on people uh, that need that is amazing, and that's that's really special. Well, you, that's big, way bigger than football. And football's a game. You win some, you lose some, right? You know, but the lasting memory um, that you can make on people's lives is what's special. This is the place, this emotion that you're showing, this is the place where you establish these connections. And this is the place that clearly connected you with somebody like Tim and some of the greatest moments of your life. What's it like now when you walk back in there? What's it going to take for you to, to feel that again about that place? Oh, it already does. And you feel that with the players, you know. Uh, you're still building it with our current players at Florida because you know I mean you gotta look at, at at Tim I spent more time in a three you know in three years with Tim than I did with my wife you know <laughs> I mean you're around each other that much you know every Thanksgiving dinner he had Thanksgiving dinner at our house every year uh you know you have that I have that with Dak Prescott you have that with all these guys you know you have that connection uh, and we're building it right now with the players of Florida you know all the special times all the hard times you go through you know seeing a young guy it, there's nothing more rewarding as a coach then you see a guy that you go recruit and you see a guy that the whole world could look at and say, you have every right not to make it. You know what I mean? I, I look at, you know, I look at the cards that you were dealt in this life. And if you didn't succeed, people could say, man, with that, 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 that hand you were dealt, I could see why you didn't succeed. Yet they still succeed. The pride you have in a coach is seeing somebody that comes really from nothing. Be the first person, in the, you know, to go somewhere. I, I, I remember one of the young guys I coached one time. And at school, I said, Coach, I have a severe learning disability. And everybody laughed at school and said, you're only going to college to be a football player. They're going to use you. You're never going to graduate. You know, you, I, I don't even know how you're getting to college. Yet he graduated college. And to be honest with you, never ended up being a great football player. Yeah. But graduated college. What a special day. And, and guys that are the first person in their family to graduate college. People that come from somewhere and say, there's no way you can make it. And yet they make it. That's what's special about coaching. Those are the moments that you remember. I don't remember all the games. I remember a lot of them. You know, special games you'll remember sometimes. I, you know, I, you say, hey, uh, what was your record in 2013? I'm like, I <laughs> Let's go. Let me let me. If you give me notes and I look at some of the games, I can tell you about some of those games. 
but the players and the impact you have on those lives and those relationships, that's what's special. And that's what sticks with you. That's why you do it. You know, that's why I sleep well at night because I know I'm, I'm, I'm positively impacting young people's lives. Uh, you know, and that, that's the part maybe that the fans don't always get to see. They see, they want to see the wins and losses. Uh, I, I love the wins. I hate the other thing. I hate the law. You know, I mean, it, that those, those are the extremes you get to up there. But that's not why you do it. You do it for, for the impact. One of those young men that you impacted and that impacted you and certainly impacted the state of Mississippi is Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. Very special person. I do wonder. I mean, you guys ascended to number one in the country in Starkville. <laughs> what were your expectations for him as a player when he left Mississippi State? You know what? Uh, I was really happy where he went. One, because his dream, he said, Coach, my dream growing up was to be the quarterback of the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Here he is living his dream. Yeah. Helped him accomplish that dream. Uh, but I was really excited for him because I knew he was prepared and I knew he was a competitor. And I look, I said, hey, how about this situation you're going into? You get a guy in Tony Romo there that you can go learn from, that you can go. now, And, and I know he's going to compete every day to beat him. But he's, he's not going to worry that this guy's the starter and he's not going to get down on himself or anything. Because, you know, in Dak, I mean, he's going to compete every day and adversity's not going to bother him. And so all he's going to do is just keep working harder the next day. I said, what a great situation. Maybe a couple of years from now as he retires, you're going to get that chance. And uh, lo and behold, <laughs> a little faster than that. Uh, yeah. Roman candles. <laughs> but, he, yeah. but you know what? He's a guy that was going to be ready for that situation. Here's a great story. Young people, and I, I share it with young guys all the, all the time. If he had come out the year before after his junior season, he might have gotten drafted even higher because, you know, he was, we were number one in the country. Yep. He was all American. He was, you know, all of this talk. He comes back for a senior year. We only go nine and four. He doesn't get the accolades that he got the year before, but he was such a better player. But he came back that last year. He prepared himself to be ready for that opportunity at the next level. When the opportunity arose, he was ready for that moment. If he had come out the year before, I don't know if he would have been ready for that exact moment that he got. But he was ready for that moment. And I remember calling him, and he went in the preseason game and lit it up, and lit up another preseason game. And he called and said, I'm going to be the starter. I said, are you nervous? He said, yeah. I said, well... I said, then go out and throw three picks, and you don't have to be nervous anymore. You won't be the starter. <laughs> and it was the same thing when we were number one in the country. I told him when he was a Heisman candidate. I said, well, listen, if you don't like the attention, go out and throw a bunch of picks, and no one will talk to you anymore. <laughs> That's great. And you know what? And he laughed at it. And I said, hey, you've worked your tail off for this opportunity. Don't be nervous. Go take advantage of it. You know? and Because you know what you can do. And uh, it is. I mean, we're, we're huge Cowboys fans at my house now. You know, I got... A guy who was born in Philadelphia and grew up in New Hampshire is a big Cowboys fan, right? <laughs> yeah, good luck. Because yeah. uh, because because of Dak Prescott, one man. That's yeah. it. We yeah. one of our favorite things because we're college football guys. One of our favorite things is every spring when it's time for the draft, and the NFL geniuses come along and they, they try to come con- they try to convince us. About no, no, I don't think that guy has the tools. And Dak was the one that we kept defending over and over and over <laughs> again. And I love watching him play and reminding everybody. Uh, yeah, we knew he could play. Well, one of the things I remember, I remember talking to the Cowboys on draft, the day he got drafted on the phone with everybody. And I just said, hey, my final thing, I think I said to, to, to Jason Garrett, I said, hey, I said, you know what? You take him now and thank me later. 
Oh, yeah. And we went out and visited. He said, I want to thank you. <laughs> he should be calling you every day, Coach. Yeah. But, uh, but you will be shocked. I mean, how few teams actually call and ask yeah. about players, and they did. And But the funny thing, I talked to the NFL teams now. I say, hey, go back in your notes and tell me one thing that you've seen in Dak Prescott that I didn't say in the notes. You know, like it's, it's he's exactly what you said he would be. What, what's it like in Gainesville? Because there were so many big-name coaches – or big name jobs that that changed around during this past offseason, but you were the one that was the home run hire. That's the headlines. This, this is the perfect guy in the perfect place and the perfect time. The expectation levels that come with that. I know you have your own expectation levels, but what's it like that environment? What's it going to be like when September rolls around? Man, I'm excited. I mean, I people. You know, the funniest one is is everyone says, "Well, what's going to be the biggest game? Oh, the Charleston Southern game, game one, because that's the first game I'm going to be standing in that tunnel, running out as the head coach of the Florida Gators, which is a dream of mine. And uh, you know, it, it's so exciting. But I, I think the excitement. I, I, we've worked every every everybody within the the organization has worked to create an exciting atmosphere and get that edge back. You know, not just with the players, with the fans around town. Create that excitement. Create that game day atmosphere when, when the buses pull up and you get off the bus for the Gator Walk and you can tell, you know, that <laughs> you're at a special place. That's the juice. When you're yeah. standing there in that tunnel and you look out of the tunnel and they, you know, that other team hears, here come the Gators. And you realize you're in the swamp and you got to go play the Florida Gators. That's the attitude, the atmosphere we want to get back. And... You know, I, I love this because there are, what, you know, five million Gator fans around the world that disagree with this statement, okay? There's no one that has higher expectations for this team and this program than I do. And everyone will tell you, no, you're a liar. I'm the biggest. <laughs> I have higher expectations than you do. But I do, and I'm around it every day, and I embrace those expectations. That, that's why, you know, I've, I had I, at Mississippi State, I had oper- a lot of different opportunities every year. Uh, a lot of different things would come. And when Florida called and offered me that job, my wife looked in my face and she said, that's it. There, were, there was no discussion. There was it. It was just that, that, that you know, it, it was one that you knew this was it. And it really didn't have anything to do with Mississippi State. It had everything to do with Florida. And, you know, I, I stayed at Mississippi State so long because it had everything to do with Mississippi State. And yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed being there. But she said, You're, my face was just different on that call. And she knew. And, you know, we both knew that this, is, this was the special place to go. We wish you the best. I appreciate Can't it. Thank, thank you all so much. All right, this is the question we're sending everybody off with today. This is a different Uh-oh. one, too, now. This is the most important question. This dude's from New today. Hampshire. I know. You, you, this is New England by way of Philadelphia, by way of Mississippi, by way of Florida. <laughs> but we've asked everybody because this is the South Asian Conference. Yeah. Uh, biscuits or cornbread? They're completely different to me. But they're both so delectable. Biscuits are breakfast. Biscuit is a breakfast meal, okay. and cornbread's a dinner food. I okay. mean, yeah, no, right? that's good. You I can mean, keep them separate. Was there is there an equivalent in Philadelphia that, that okay, we're not going to eat biscuits and cornbread? It's a I don't know. Biscuits they eat cornbread. cornbread. That's like a, saying cheesesteak or scrapple. In right there, you go. Right? Yeah. You don't eat a right. You don't eat cheesesteak for breakfast, man. Cheesesteak for breakfast. You're not putting scrapple in there with dinner. Uh, Do you eat scrapple ever? Oh no, just the sound of it. (laughs) Y'all, I never had scrapple. I have. My wife's from South Jersey. I know all about it. Oh yeah, scrapple's good. Ooh, scrapple on a biscuit. You know, you could have scrapple on a biscuit, but you scrapple, you slice it up, fry it up, have it with some. You can have with pancakes, put a little syrup on it. We had a whole conversation the other day about why are pancakes pancakes. pancakes. 
And why is like cornbread, cornbread? Why don't you have cornbread? It's sweet. Why don't, why didn't they have cornbread for breakfast? With like I just had some cornbread. My wife made it. She makes great barbecue ribs with this cornbread she oh. makes. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to give away her recipe, but it is an unbelievable cornbread. And then you have it with the ribs, with the sauce. Coming to your house, man. So then the answer, the answer is, I'm a corn. If you, if I'd, I'd go cornbread over biscuit, but they're completely different meals. So it also, so it's hard to compare. It's also probably in the best interest of your marriage if that's her <laughs> thing is to say cornbread. It is. Man, there's nothing more fun than having the opportunity to hang out with those guys, learn about their lives, and uh, they're funny. I mean, it's just funny to get them away from the field, to put them in a in, in a redneck mecca, which is what the Marty and McGee talking season studio was. McGee and I like to say that it's a great Wolf Lodge lobby. Totally. And I just love love hanging out with them, and McGee does too. And speaking of hanging out with McGee, it's time for the Marty Potty. What are we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Marty Potty. All right, son. What is, uh, we talked to all seven SEC East coaches, but we wanted to put Coach Odom, Coach Smart, and Coach Mullen on the Marty Smith America podcast. And, uh, what was your, what was your biggest takeaway from those three conversations specifically? Well, I just think that, you know, when you and I went into that deal, I think both of us kind of had in our mind, all right, we know this guy will be good. We know this guy will probably be okay. And whatever we can get out of this guy, we'll just take whatever we can get. And I don't know where Odom was on that list. But when we were done with those 14 interviews, Odom was, I mean, he was near the top. Yeah, he really stood out to me too. Yeah. And, I'm, and, uh, yeah, and I, I just he just he just got it. And he I just think you and I both know this. These guys, especially that media days, they just they've been asked about what offense you're going to run and who's your quarterback and you know what are you going to do who we're going to do week three and all this other stuff and then when we hit them with other stuff, I just think they're relieved and 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 I was really really pleasantly surprised at how quickly all those guys jumped on board and not just them. I, I Mark Stoops, uh, the Kentucky head coach, he yeah. he really stood out to me as well during our conversations because I loved hearing him talk about. His brothers. Yeah. And, you know, in case you guys didn't know, uh, he has a whole bunch of football coaching brothers, including his, at some point, will be Hall of Fame uh, brother, Bob Stoops, who coached yep. Oklahoma forever and ever and ever. Recently retired a couple years ago here now. And, you know, talking in our conversation with Coach Stoops, it was hilarious because we were doing biscuits and cornbread, which we asked every, every one of those coaches, biscuits or cornbread, it's become a national phenomenon for those of you who have been living under a rock. Yeah. I think, uh, heck, I think Good Morning America, Today Show, uh, Southern Living Magazine, I think everybody's kind of jumped on the cornbread. The commissioner biscuits. of the SEC. Commissioner yeah. of the SEC, talking about jorts and cornbread, I love it. But when we talked to Coach Stoops about it, he started laughing and he brought up loaves of bread and how the Stoops boys – would be fighting over yeah. the last slice of Wonder Bread. Just get whatever you get on yeah. a Friday evening because yeah. that's all that yeah. they had in the cupboard. Yeah, no, it was um, he, I think burnt toast. He goes burnt toast, whatever you could get a hold of, and it was uh, I just I just picture it like it, almost like feeding hogs. You just throw it out there and just you know every man for himself, and whatever you get, you get, and whatever you don't, you probably should have worked harder. Another guy that I enjoyed talking to that you guys didn't hear from there was Will Muschamp at the University of South Carolina. Uh, I've said on the Marty and McGee program, I said it this past Saturday, I think what he's doing in Columbia 
is brilliant. I think he's done a tremendous job of reinstilling a certain culture there, and uh, they've really improved quite a bit. And I think he's a hilarious. I think he's hilarious. Yep. Um, he wears his intensity on his sleeve. And you've said it before, McGee, you said it to him in our interview, that there's a comfort level that is palpable with him now that we've not seen before. Yeah. No, it's, it's a testament to how, you know, that Florida job has become, it pays a lot of money and you obviously have a lot of resources, but that Florida, for whatever reason, the job at Florida sucks the life out of people. Whether it's Urban Meyer, whether it's, you know, I, I just, you see what those guys, I always say it's like being the president. You know, guy goes in as a president, and when he's done four or eight years later, he looks like he's aged 70 years. And, and I think that Florida job is like that. And honestly, I didn't care for Will Muschamp when he was at Florida because every time I dealt with him, he's just all surly and angry and just everything's just, you know, I don't know, it just felt very combative all the time. And I remember I was, I was one of the referees in the South Carolina spring game back in April, and I was shocked just walking into his office and talking to him before the game that morning, just how loose he was. Because, listen, he did never let us do that at Florida. And he certainly wouldn't have enjoyed it. So, no, no, I just – I like seeing guys be happy. And he just looks happy right now. I agree. He has a – there's there's a disarmed air yep. about him. But, I, you know, I asked several coaches this, and if you guys listen to – the podcast last week, you heard me ask Nick Saban this and Gus Miles on this when we aired the SEC West show. There's this weird, there's this weird place for all of us as professionals where a, th- there is comfort but not complacency, yep. and that's your voice. Yep. That's when you find your voice. Uh, if you're in the same, the industry that McGee and I have, whether that's being a writer or being a commentator, you find your voice where you're comfortable with who and what you are, how you're saying what that is, the opinions you have, how you formulated those, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's finding your voice. Yep. And you can almost see it when a coach finds that place. And Will Muschamp has absolutely found that place. I realized it. Really, the first time I've spent any time, quote-unquote, with Coach Muschamp was when I did the Saban Hoops story for Marty Smith's America TV when I went down to Alabama and talked to Coach Saban about those hellacious knockdown, drag-out, noontime basketball games they had at LSU. Saban's staff at LSU was ridiculous. Coach Muschamp was his defensive coordinator. Jimbo Fisher was his offensive coordinator. Derek Dooley was like a graduate. Uh, pardon me, he was the quarterback's coach. Adam Gase, who's now the head coach at the Dolphins, was a graduate analyst or some title. And so on and on and on, he had this amazing staff, and they used to hoop. And it was hilarious, absolutely hysterical. If you've not seen that piece, go find it. Uh, I don't care if it's a shameless plug. It's funny. It's really funny. And watching Jimbo and Coach Gase and certainly Muschamp just kill Saban, just wear Saban out about the rules, about the way they were enforced, about judge, jury, and executioner, Coach Saban was all of the above, was hilarious. And I loved watching Coach Muschamp, when I was interviewing him for that piece, laugh. The laughter and, yep. and the true authentic belly laughing that came with reminiscing about those times was so telling to me. And to your point, we saw that even further at SEC Media Days when he's answering the same question over and over and over. And then he comes in and we're asking him about cornbread or biscuits. Yeah. 
No, it's, it's just fun. That's fun to me. I enjoy having fun in this job. Yeah, and that's fun. And they do too. And that's why it was so excited. Uh, why I was so excited to see him, um, to, to see him like he is right now. Now listen, uh, winning helps. And they won a lot more ball games last year than I think anybody expected them to. And they kind of got it quietly rolling down there in, in Columbia and got a chance to, I don't know if they're good enough to win the SEC East, but they certainly are good enough to ruin it for everyone else. And so it's he's way ahead of schedule of where anyone expected him to be. And I think it goes back to what we're talking about. He's just having a good time. Yeah, George is really good. Uh, they're really, really good. Kirby's got it going there. He had like the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football. Something something of that ilk. Uh, and, of course, playing the national championship game last year was within a stone's throw of winning a natty. And I wonder, and I will continue to wonder until we get into this season, how Kirby will respond to this. And what happened, you know, he has an embarrassment of riches at quarterback. Uh, Fromm is very good, and Fields is supposed to be lights out. Uh, Fields was very good in their in their spring game. And so uh, I look forward to seeing what happens down there in Athens. Can they keep this thing rolling, win the East, possibly win the league again, get another bid to the playoff, and keep that thing rolling? Because it's very hard to do. It's hard to win. And one thing, as you heard there in our conversation with Kirby, that I will continue to wonder until we get into the season here, how do you follow up that type of season that they had at Georgia. Obviously, they recruited well. He had one of the greatest recruiting classes ever. We know that. And so how do you come back from that level of heartbreak and use it as fuel? I think if anybody can do it, it's Kirby. He's an intense dude. We wondered on the way down there, could we even make him laugh? Could we even make him smile? We managed to do that. Thank you, biscuits and cornbread. Right. But it'll be fun to watch that, man. Yeah, and it's just um, in in the Georgia fan base – um, they've been so hungry for so long, and they've been so close so many times during the Mark Rick era of, you know, when the reality is they were just a handful of yards away from playing for a national championship. And that kind of summed up. They, they were always kind of right there, but can never quite close the deal. And so the question is, with that fan base, everything's great now, but when if, if they have another year – Say say this year they they and and that wouldn't surprise me if it happened. They lose a couple games nobody expect them to lose. They don't make it back to Atlanta. They have a great year, but it's not playing for a national championship type of year. Does that mindset of the Georgia fan base start to settle back in? Like, well, we got close again, but we still didn't take care of it. And and I don't that that stuff doesn't bother Kirby Smart in the slightest. But the question is, everybody around him, how's it going to affect them? Because because you say it all the time. You, you couldn't be closer. You could not have possibly been closer to winning a national championship, and it didn't happen. And, and how quickly are you able to just park that, yeah. or how quickly it has become you know, the recurring nightmare? Not just a loss, but the way they lost. Yep. And to be, to, you know, uh, to, to, to be up at halftime and in control of that game. Yep. They were controlling that game at halftime. It was and, over. And to, it, it was. was it, over. It, it, yeah. You could sense, look, man, we can go back there, too. You and I were both in the stadium at the national championship at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, when Tua walked in the game. Yep. The air changed in the building. Yeah, it did. It was a it was a palpable difference 
in air and optimism in the building for the Alabama people and a, oh, what's this from the 70% Georgia crowd yep. that was in that building. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I can't wait. And I love it. What an awesome honor to get to spend the time that McGee and I got to spend with all 14 of those gentlemen. They were very good to us. They all had a lot of fun with us. They were all so insightful. And look, I appreciate the feedback that we've gotten from the talking season shows on SEC Network. It means so much to me that you guys care and take the time to listen. But those guys have to play ball with us. Yep. We can be the best interviewers on the planet, and if they don't come to play ball with us, the interview is going to stink. Yep. And so we appreciate their time. We appreciate their candor and all those things. And, son, I appreciate your time. Now, before I let you go, we had some interesting calls on the Marty and McGee program. Oh, man. On Saturday, August 18th. All right? I'm under the weather. I feel horrible. You're under the weather. You got the flu. Yep. Now, it might be the Captain Morgan flu, but you got the flu. It might be self-inflicted, but it's the flu nonetheless. And so we we both did the Marty and McGee program hurt. We played hurt. That's what gamers do. Gamers game. Partly cloudy. Uh, McGee might be partly cloudy. I'm just straight up sick as a dog. Yeah. Now, so we want you guys to hear a couple of the remedies that our callers suggested. It's the Hillbilly Hotline. Words, sayings, or just a way of life. Roman candles? That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. (laughs) This is Hillbillyisms. Sounds crazy, but it is uh, potatoes. Sleeping with potatoes in your sock. So you actually... Wait, wait, wait. uh, Put potatoes where? In your sock. In your socks. All right. While you sleep. So... It, it, it wasn't appealing to me because I don't, I can't stand for my feet to be wet, number one, uh, but I can't stand to sleep in socks, number two. Worst, worst two things ever for me, sleeping. Uh, but my wife had done it three weeks before. She woke up the next morning, uh, and she actually was over the flu. So I had been down in the dumps for about four days, sinus infection. I was hacking up all kinds of stuff. Um, but she finally talked me into it. Uh, you got to do it for at least six hours. So if you look at the the history of potatoes, even back 16th century, uh, the Irish used them a lot for drawing out infections. So when you you cut the potatoes vertically, no peel, and then you put them in the bottom of your sock. So depending on how big your foot is, probably two slices in each sock, maybe three. Um, And then you you put your socks on over the potatoes, um, and you sleep with them. And what happens is the potatoes will draw the infection out of the body, um, and when you wake up the next morning, potatoes will actually lose all their moisture, and they kind of look like potato chips um, when you take them off the next morning. <laughs> but it, it did work. I just want to say it, it did work. It worked for her, um, and it worked for me. I woke up the next morning. I think it was last Thursday, actually. Um, and I had no no mucus, no drainage, no sinus infection, no fever, no nothing. I Seriously. Like a million bucks. Seriously, Seriously, like it, it was legit. The potatoes. I'm trying it. The toxins. I will report back. I'm trying it, brother. Especially especially you, Marty. If you're dealing with the sinus infection, man, it's the same thing I was dealing with, and it, you know, it whooped me for a while. Um, I'm I'm a golf instructor, so I work at a golf course, um, and I was, you know, I was coughing, I was running fever. You know, people didn't really want to be around me. They were afraid they were going to catch. I had heard originally it was a 24-hour virus, but I definitely had it. Uh, for upwards of, you know, 96 hours. 
So it definitely wasn't a 24-hour virus, um, but it, it was a bad sinus infection. Uh, and I had fever. I had antihistamines. I had amoxicillin. And I'll be honest, none of that really affected it at all. So you know, all my right. wife kept telling me I'm before we went to bed, try the potatoes, try the potatoes. So I finally gave in, and you know, it was miserable for about 45 minutes because my feet were kind of wet. Yeah, it doesn't sound it 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 doesn't sound very comfortable, but if it makes me feel better than I feel right now, uh, I mean, I, look, I'm in. You, you sold me. I'm going to make me some tater chips in my socks tonight. In your shoes, and then when you wake up, they start as potatoes, they end as potato chips. So Roll Tide Ken says, put taters in your socks, <laughs> and it will exercise the inflammation demons that ail you. I'm in. All right. He, he goes, that's my nightmare. It's wearing socks in the bed. It's mine too. That sounds awful. stuff on my feet. Morning, boys. How you doing? So so glad to actually be put on hold this hour. I get stuck listening to some crappy block time here in Dallas, so getting the second hour of your show has been an added bonus. There you go. I'm glad it's not crappy. Oh man! Oh, y'all shows great. I uh, it's it's the highlight of my Saturday morning. Oh, well, thank, thank you, sir. No, it's 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 been a treat listening to y'all. So uh, no, what I've got, I seems like every time the weather changes or the wind shifts, my allergies flare up, and yeah. allergies become sinuses, get into my chest, become an upper respiratory infection, and then I'm down for the count. So yeah. what I've got is I take. Zyrtec to fight the allergies. I'm, I combine that with uh, Sudafed, not the over-the-counter crap, but the stuff you actually have to sign for now that the uh, undesirables like to cook it into drugs, <laughs> cook it into crack or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mucinex to break up the mucus beds because, you know, like they say, standing water, you know, is what lets... You know, let skeeters and all that crap grow, right? Right. right. Uh, Same applies. You get all that mucus crap in your lungs. <laughs> you get the mucus the beds that are like little feeding petri dishes for all that crud in your chest, right? And, and then I also so I so I combine all that, and then I use um, a nasal spray that's uh, fluconase. Wow, this is like a cocktail. Yeah, that's a big cocktail. Oh, dude, right there, I'll, I'll tell you what i I've been I've been fighting this crap my whole life. I'm. I'm 51 years old, and uh, at about eight, nine years ago, I finally figured out the magic elixir. And I'll tell you, yeah, it is. It's 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 all that, and you know, hell, now I might even try some potatoes in my socks. But, you need uh, to, man. I'm going. Yeah, that's apparently. Yeah, you, apparently, yeah. Pump them drugs in your mouth and put the <laughs> potatoes in your socks. So, McGee, we got one guy. Roll Tide Ken from down in Florida, yeah, the golf instructor with the wife who's a nurse, right? Who found this uh, tater remedy on the internet? I like it. I'm trying it. All right, I'm trying it. Yeah, you need to let me know how that goes. Um, and we'll see how that goes. And and then we we got our guy who has the most unbelievable cocktail of pharmaceuticals I've ever heard. Yeah, that was. Uh, almost, I'm not going to try that one. Almost dangerous. That sounds like you might want to have the poison control hotline uh, in your hand. I'm pretty that, sure you do that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, who who the drug and DEA drug enforcement yeah. agency yeah, is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. they might be on to him in, yeah. in ten minutes here but anyway uh, we Sonny and Rico are en route yeah we pre yeah, and that Testarossa remember that Testarossa they oh, drove yeah. through town dude oh yeah that, no, no, that, was, so, that was that was my dream man that's all I ever wanted one of to the be. greatest scenes in the history of television oh yeah is the four and a half minute dialogueless 
Miami Vice episode where they jump in the car and they're driving through the streets of Miami en route to the boat. Yep. And they just play in the air tonight by Phil Collins. You and I did that That's once. That's the uh, headed, entire headed the, segment. It headed to the Biscayne Bay Marriott, I think, one night. It just there were that it, it almost even even now. I've actually this. I don't know if this is weird or not, but I was, I love that song. That song is is very important to me. And one thing I love about that song is the Notre Dame game last year. The University of Miami was playing Notre Dame at home, and it was, I mean, it was a big time football game. It wound up being. It wound up not being the best football game. But before that game, where did you cover that game with yeah. me? Yep. Yeah, okay, we're both yep. there. We're, we're both, both there. at uh, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Yep. There you go. And they play in the air tonight during warm-ups. Yep. yep. And, son, it was a fever pitch. They were going to blow the lid. They don't. It doesn't have a lid. They were going to blow the lid off that joint. It's a semi-lid, I would call and, it. And uh, I just I love that song. So I went back after that game, and I watched that pass. I watched that, that, that segment on YouTube. God, it's good. No, I miss so Miami good. Vice, man. Well, dude, I watch it all the time. If you if you go to the far flung cable channels, it's on. And my wife just rolls her eyes because she walks into the den, and there I sit again, watching uh watching it. It makes me feel uh makes me feel seventeen and cool. Go get me a linen suit. You know what? If they ever were crazy enough to put us on TV, if they were ever that crazy, maybe we should go Crockett and Tubbs outfits. Oh yeah. We should go pastel T-shirts. Oh yeah. All right, V-neck pastel V-necks. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah. And white suits with the sleeves pulled up. Yep. Dude, I think it would be, we could bring it back. It would be yeah. huge. No, that's, that's how we should, if they ever put us on TV, that's how we should open our show. Not necessarily uh, the Marty and McGee on brand. Thank you for your time, son. It's Anytime. appreciated. Yes, sir. Uh, love I love being the here. opportunity to spend that time with you. I want to thank Kalo so much for their support, both of me personally, of my family, uh, of Marty Smith's America. It matters so much that they've invested in us, and uh, and they appreciate the platform. So thank you to Kalo. Go to qalo.com, kalo.com. Use promo code Marty for 15% off. Thank you so much to you guys for being invested in this property. It's so fun to do it. I love the opportunity to do it, and the feedback I'm getting matters. Uh, I appreciate you guys subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It sounds trivial, I know it, but it's important to the show. So thank you. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you, Travis, for your hard work. Thank you, Louise, for being crazy enough to put us here. And thank you to our troops uh, keeping us free all over this world. We live in the greatest country in the world for a reason. God bless America. We'll see you all next week.